Hear the word of the Lord. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live or do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name is Sam, uh, one of the deacons here, and I get the honor of, uh, of preaching to you this morning. And uh, I always say this, but you could be here, you could be anywhere this morning. And so we're thankful that that you decided to to be with us. Uh, I grew up singing the old hymns that we just sang, and I'll just be honest, they've never sounded so good. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you, man, for, for everything that y'all do. Uh, hopefully y'all know that they get here super early in the morning uh, just uh, to rehearse uh, for today. But uh, this is a big week. Um, we got brightly colored stuff decorating our auditorium because Vacation Bible School is this week. That's a big deal, yeah. We're going to kick that off. Uh, tonight with our back-to-school bash at, here at, at this building, and uh, rain or shine, we're going to have a party, and uh, free school supplies will be provided to numerous uh, uh, families around the neighborhood. So <clears throat> we have been in the book of James now for quite a few weeks in a sermon series called Faith That Works. So the book of James is, is all about how our faith in Jesus, how it it manifests itself or how it works itself out in everyday life. James isn't so much talking about big, grandiose plans for going to the ends of the earth and changing the world, and he's not really big-minded here, but he's talking about everyday life. How does our faith work itself out in everyday things such as wisdom, how we use our words, how we speak to one another, how we treat one another? And so today, James has come to a point that's really a very generic thing. It's a very mundane thing, but it's something that all of us do. And it's, he's speaking of how does our faith work itself out as we simply go about our days, going from this thing to that thing, to this place to that place, making plans and looking towards tomorrow in the future. So for those of you who, who know me well, you, you might not have to know me well to know this about me, but I like organization. I like, I like order. And more specifically, I like for everything to have its place. Everything needs to be in its place on my desk at work, in my pantry, at my house. Like everything needs to have its place. So at my home, there's somebody laughing over here. I, I don't even know. <laughs> All right. Amen, bro. You, I, I think you feel me. Or your wife feels me. One of the I don't know. Uh, but I started to notice a trend in my home over the past few years that we would check the mail. We would open it. And then we would leave it on the kitchen table or on our counter in our kitchen. Now, for those of you who are like me, a little anal retentive, you know that's just not the place for the mail, right? So I thought to myself, well, let's go out and buy a nice little table. 
nothing huge, just a nice little table, and we're going to kind of put it off in the corner where it's, it's out of the way. But that table is going to be designated for mail. That's our mail table. And of course, I had just, just wonderful, meticulous plans for this table that one side would be unopened mail. The other side would be opened mail that we needed to take action on, file it, pay it, whatever it might be. And listen, guys, it, it worked out. It was amazing. I mean, there was no open mail on our, our table, our countertop. It was all right there. And then my son, who is now two and a half, he started standing and pulling himself up and walking. And I have a picture of the mail table now. I wasn't staged. That's literally what it looks like. And sometimes it looks worse than that. You see, I had plans and they were good plans. But I didn't consider one of the pillars of our relational existence. And that is that if you have order and organization and it is within your toddler's reach, <laughs> it will soon turn into a brightly colored, chaotic pile of Fisher Price fun. See, this is, this is just a silly example of good intentions, good plans, but forgetting to consider something really important. But what James has to say to us this morning is not such a silly thing. It's something that all of us fall prey to. It's something that all of us struggle with. What James is showing us this morning is that so often we go about our days moving towards the future, making our plans, but we are neglecting a key pillar to our existence, and I would argue probably the most important pillar to our existence, which we'll talk about in a moment. But James, he does have a, a specific audience in mind here. There's a specific group of people he's talking to. In verse 13, he says, now listen, you who say, right? So it, it's like, it's almost like there's finger pointing going on. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So we're going we're gonna to go to this place. We're going to spend this duration of time there. We're going to do this while we're there, and this is the purpose and the reason and the result of being there. And then he would go on later to say that they, they do this in a very boastful and prideful way. Jesus, or James's audience in this letter were, were Jewish Christians. These were people who were of the Jewish, Jewish heritage who had had placed their faith in Jesus. And over the course of time, these people, uh, many of them had become very shrewd and very successful when it came to business. So over time, they had accumulated enough power, enough influence, enough wealth and resources that they could plan out their days, they could plan out tomorrow and their business with a certain sense of precision, a certain level of expectation for everything to go their way, and a certain level of expectation for the success that they would have in doing that. So, some of you heard that and you thought, well, I don't have that kind of power or influence or wealth, so I, I guess, you know, you think you, can, might, you might be able to check out here at this point. But the, the thing is, is that this passage is really speaking to every single one of us. Because when you take a step back and you, and you look at what's happening and you look at what these people are saying, you ask yourself, what are they really doing? What's behind their words? 
And I would say they are simply writing out their script. They're just making plans. They're, they're, they're charting a course. If you want to use an analogy, they're, they're, they're holding the ink pen of their life and they're just writing out the next chapter. So none of us fall outside of this. At some point in our lives, either boldly or routinely or desperately, we make plans for tomorrow trying to write out our script and what's going to happen. James could have just as easily said at this point, he could have just as easily written, I'm going to finish college and then I'm going to get a good job and I'm going to start dating and then I'm going to find a spouse and then we're going to be married for a little while. We're going to wait a few years to have kids. We're going to travel the world. We're going to get it well established. We're going to buy a house and then we're going to have 2.3 kids I don't really want to have any more than 2.3, but we're going to have 2.3 kids, and then I'm going to do this and do this and do this. James also could have just as easily put your daily routine in this passage, whatever your daily or weekly routine looks like. And so at this point, I think it's, it's important for me to pause and, and explain to you, when I say the word tomorrow, because I'm going to say it a lot throughout this sermon, the word tomorrow doesn't mean Monday or the next 24 hours. It does, but it, it also can mean next week, the next 10 years, the next 30 years of your life. When I say tomorrow, it, it means any moment past this moment right now. The, at the heart of this, it's, it's really about when we look at tomorrow, when we look at the moment past this moment, we ask ourselves, how am I going to carry on? How am I going to go about this and make plans based on what I have what I don't have, and what I want. Every single one of us have to do this every single day. For some of us, when you think about tomorrow, it's all about thriving. Life has just, just gone your way. It's like the deck of cards. It's just, I don't know why I did the cash money thing. I don't know why I did that. It's a deck of cards, all right? It's just the cards are just falling in with what you want. So when you think about tomorrow, it's all about big plans, bold plans, ambitious plans, because you're going to thrive. But I would argue that for many of you, tomorrow is simply about surviving. You just want to get by. You got kids, they scream, they turn your mail table into not your mail table. You're just trying to survive, right? But whether tomorrow is about thriving or about surviving, every single one of us have an approach in a way we're going to go about it. But I want to make something very clear about what James is doing here. James is not rebuking these people for making plans. He's not calling them out because they have vision or ambition or because they want to be successful. He's not rebuking them because they are successful. But rather, he's rebuking them because of the manner in which they go about it. It says in verse 16, as it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. You see, they're making their plans for tomorrow in a, in, a, in a boastful way, as though somehow they control the sun and the moon. They do so in a way that's very self-promoting or very self-reliant, where it's all up to them. You see, he's not rebuking 
what's in their plans, but rather James is calling us out for what's absent from their plans. He's not rebuking them for the details of their plans, but rather the forgetfulness. They're forgetting the Lord. He's absent. It's a, it's a mindless forgetfulness. And so James, as he does all throughout this letter, he doesn't waste any time at all, and he goes straight for the jugular. In verse 14, he says this, what is your life? You were a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So imagine going outside on a cold, brisk morning, take a deep breath in, and then exhale, and you see your breath. And then poof, it's gone. James is saying, that's our life. It was read earlier out of the Psalms. Job says the same thing in Job chapter 7. He says, my life is but a breath. So what is it really that we are missing as we carry on and go about our days? as we go about our business and making plans, what is it that we're really missing? It's more, it's so much more than just forgetting to include time with the Lord in our plans. But it's, it's forgetting that it is the Lord who gave us life in the first place. We, we forget what it is that our, our life really runs on, right? We all know that, that a car runs on fuel, but forgetting the source of our life, it's like cutting the floorboard out of your car and trying to Fred Flintstone it throughout your days. It just doesn't work. The tragedy that James is speaking of is going about our everyday life as if the Lord is not the source of our existence. So before we can talk about how our faith looks forward to the next thing and the next thing, we need to anchor ourselves in this truth that our life is a mist, but that mist is God's grace to us. Simply put, your life is God's grace to you. James chapter one says it beautifully when it says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord and that includes your life. So every breath that you breathe in Every day that you wake up, every time you hold your kid, every time you sit at the table and you eat, it's God's gift to you. Yes, our life, it is frail, it is short, and it will come to an end. But that doesn't change the fact that every moment of our life is God's grace to us. So how much more for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus and call ourselves Christians is our life to be considered God's gift to us? You see, it's when we forget this pillar of our existence that so often the ship sets sail on a path of destruction, loneliness, exhaustion, and, and oftentimes to a place of self-aggrandizement or a, a place where we, we promote our own well-being and our own plans. When we anchor ourselves in the reality that life is God's grace to us, we can approach tomorrow with peace 
and faithfulness. And so anchoring ourselves in the reality that, that, that God's grace or, or that our life is God's grace to us, it allows us to go about life doing two things. First, we can hold tomorrow with an open hand. And second, we can plan for tomorrow staring at the face of God. So when we anchor ourselves in the truth that, that your life is God's gift to you, it begins to allow you to hold and go about tomorrow with an open hand. My son, who I mentioned, he's now two and a half. Uh, I do have a, a, an, another son who's, who's three months, uh, but he, he doesn't quite do the things that his older brother does, so I'll just stick with his older brother. But my, my son has this adorable expression where he'll run up to you or me, and, and he'll, he'll hold his hands up to you, and sometimes he, he'll grab you by the pants, and you get a little scared. But uh, he'll grab you, and, and, and he'll look up at you, and he'll say, I hold you, I hold you. Now, logic and the fact that he's holding his hands up to me tells every one of us that he wants me to pick him up and hold him, right? His words say one thing, but everything else says a totally different story. I mean, but what if I took my son at his word? You hold me? All right. And I tried to plop down in his arms. I mean, I would have to explain to the doctors and nurses at the hospital, he said he could hold me. He, he wanted to. But see, we're a little bit more sophisticated. And I think we do the opposite of this when it comes to Tomorrow. You see, we say that we trust Jesus. We say that Jesus holds us. And we might say, as we just sung in that hymn, I know who holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. But oftentimes, the way that we carry out our life in both our ambition and our worry, it tells a very different story. So often we go about our life as though we hold the power and control over tomorrow. And in the same way that if, if I were to take my son at his words and try to let him hold me and I would flatten him, believing that we hold the power for tomorrow, it is an undeniable setup for failure and disappointment. Or it is an inevitable setup for success for you but where God is absent and he doesn't get the glory. Again, James wastes no time with this. In verse 14, he says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Have you ever stepped back and considered how often we find ourselves disappointed, angry, and sad because our plans didn't work out? I don't, I don't just mean the big things, but I also mean the, the small things in life too. I've said this. I've heard people in this church say this, where they'll say, this, this or that thing happened, and it just ruined everything for me. If this didn't happen in my life, then I would be here. If this, if this thing hadn't have happened, then, then my story would look differently, and I would be in a better place. Many people live their life in deep resentment and bitterness because a hope or a dream or a plan for tomorrow just didn't come to fruition. And the response to that for these people 
And for many of us is that we live out so much of our days trying to prove something or trying to make up for something. We go through life with a chip on our shoulder, all because we thought we had control over tomorrow and it just didn't work out. And I would say that this doesn't, just, this doesn't just get at people who might have big, bold, boastful plans for tomorrow. But what about those of us who lie in bed at night with deep-seated anxiety and worry for tomorrow? We go about our days thinking, oh my gosh, what if this happens? What if that doesn't go right? What is this person going to say? How is this really going to play out? And it's just this incessant cycle of worry and anxiety. Have you ever wondered why we do this? It's because we think that the power for everything to go right tomorrow is somehow within our control. If I worry about it and think about it enough, well, then I can change the outcome. And so I would say that even worrying about tomorrow is neglecting the fact that tomorrow is in the Lord's hands. Now, a side note. Holding tomorrow with an open hand does not mean that you can go about your life not making plans or having ambition or vision. It's, that's not the argument here. Because I know there are some of you who got really relaxed all of a sudden. And you were like, bro, you're speaking my language. I don't, I don't make plans. as commitment, responsibility. I just, I don't, I don't really like to do that, man, you know? I like, to, I like to go where the Spirit leads, you know? I like to, I like to go with the ghost. <laughs> if we were to watch your, if we were, we were to, to watch your life play out, it would be like watching that feather fall at the beginning of, of Forrest Gump. You ever seen that? You ever wondered why the movie Forrest Gump is two and a half hours long? It's because the, thir- the first 30 minutes of it is just a feather falling. Wherever the wind blows, there it goes. It goes under a car. It lands on Forrest's foot. Somehow it winds up in a scrapbook at the end of the movie. I don't know. But this is not saying you don't have plans or ambition. I would, I would say, and I'm not going to spend much, I'm not going to spend any more time on this, but listen, the Bible has plenty of encouragement to all of us about using our time and resources well right? Life is God's grace to you, so use it well. Have vision for your life. But holding tomorrow with an open hand, it means that no matter what our plans might be, no matter what it looks like, we know that one, the power for tomorrow belongs to the Lord and not you. Two, that things might not go the way that you want them to go. And three, that though we might feel like we've lost control, holding tomorrow with an open hand is a reminder that the Lord has not lost control of tomorrow. And he has not lost control of you. So what does holding tomorrow with an open hand really do for me? I think there's a lot of things, but I'm just going to settle for this. It gives peace to our souls. Holding tomorrow with an open hand, it allows for things to not go our way. It allows for things to fall through the cracks. 
And we don't have to react with panic and anger and disappointment all the time. We can stop white-knuckling our way through life trying to carry out our agenda. As one writer said, and as we will sing later, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say that it is well, it is well with my soul. Jesus reminds us of this truth in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, listen, if the Lord feeds the birds of the air and he clothes the grass of the field, how much more is he going to take care of you? Letting go of the reins of tomorrow, it is an open door for God's peace to pour into your souls. But when we anchor ourselves in the reality that this life that we have is God's gift to us. Not only can we hold tomorrow with an open hand, but also we can plan for tomorrow staring at the face of God. James says in verse 15, after, they, after these people go on their rant about tomorrow, he said this, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So James James here is saying with a resounding, yes, yes, go about your life, do this or that, go to this place or that place, yes, make plans, make it happen, man, like go for it, but do so staring at the face of God, knowing that ultimately it is his will that will come to fruition and not yours. So one way to think about this is that if your plans have been very successful recently, just success has just been pouring into your life, it's because the Lord has willed it so. So you can, you can look at all of your success and you can say, look at my kingdom and look at what I've built. Or you can look at all of your success and say, look at how God has been gracious to me. And you'd be amazed at, when we view it that way, at, at how it, it flips the way we use our resources. Now, again, this, this doesn't discount the effort that it takes. This doesn't discount the, the mental energy and, and the, the work ethic and the strategy that we put into it. It doesn't discount that or take away from that at all. It simply puts our mist of a life in its place as a gift from the Lord. So whether you have success in business or success in your homes or success in ministry or success in athletics or success in school, it is because the Lord has willed it so and it is his grace to you. We are clearly reminded of how God's will prevails in Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, when he says, I am God and there is none like me I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. If tomorrow, if, if, if holding tomorrow with an open hand is about is going about life knowing that we don't have control for tomorrow, then 
planning for tomorrow, staring at the face of God, is about going about life trusting that God does have a plan and a purpose for tomorrow. And there's a, there's a couple of things that James is not saying here, and it's, it's actually encouraging. The first thing is like this is not an invitation for us to be overly pious and say anytime we talk about anything future-oriented, we have to say Lord willing, right? You don't have to make your grocery list and say apples, Lord willing. <laughs> Two pounds ground beef, Lord willing, Right? I read that part of my sermon to my wife, and she looked at me, and she said, what are you cooking? <laughs> That's the beginning of a really good bacon and blue cheeseburger. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got distracted there. I like to cook, and it, it kind of played out. But he's not saying that we have to say Lord willing to everything. He's simply saying that we can do this or that. We can go to this place or that place, but only if God wills it. And then there's a really, another really wonderful encouragement from James here in what he's not saying. James is not saying that we can't start planning for tomorrow until we have the will of God for our life perfectly figured out. He's not saying that at all. He's, he's not saying like, you need to go to a secret place Go on a personal retreat, figure out what God's will is for you, and then come back and make a plan. Because listen, I know that there are many of you in this room, including myself, who when you think of the will of God, it's like thinking of the Yeti. The, the, uh, the will of God feels like the, some elusive creature that lives in the mountains of Russia. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's there, maybe it's not. Anytime somebody seems to take a picture of it, it's always blurry. I just, I don't know what the will of God is. We exhaust so much time and energy asking ourselves, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life? Is this what the Lord wills? Is this what the Lord will, wills? I mean, it, and we get crippled by it. We get crippled to the point where we oftentimes fail to make plans or we make really hasty plans because everything seems to be the will of God. Or so often we get stuck in a routine because we're just trying to figure out what the will of God is before we break that routine. But I would argue that, the, that, the, that God's will for your life isn't so much a mission for tomorrow as much as it's faithfulness today. Planning for tomorrow, staring at the face of God is not a call to perfectly understand what God's will is for your life. But it's more so a call to be faithful to the life that he's given you. And I think this is where verse 17 comes into play. Where James says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, for them this is sin. I think this also comes on the tail end of Travis's sermon last week. But for some of you, you all of a sudden started to panic and you're like, oh my goodness, well, what's the good that I need to do? What, what, do I, what, what action do I need to take? What's the good? What's the good? I would say this. It is going about your days, trusting that your life is God's grace to you and be faithful to him. That's the good we ought to do. 
So as you do this or that, as you build this or that, as you take this opportunity or don't take the opportunity, you ask yourself, is it faithful to the Lord? Or am I forgetting God in this and being negligent of the fact that he gave me life in the first place? So the the question is, how do I know I'm being faithful? How do I know this plan I have is, is faithful? There's a couple of questions I have. And the first one is a really telling thing. And that is this. In your plans and in your ambition, how are the people around you affected by it? Particularly those closest to you. When it comes to making plans for tomorrow, when it comes to your daily routine, when it comes to your ambition, how does it affect the people around you? What do your coworkers think of you? What do your friends think of you? How many people, I mean, just step back and think about how many marriages are on the rocks or have come to an end because of somebody's ambition. How many coworkers are talked about behind their back and bad things said about them because somebody wants to promote themselves over them? How many friendships just fall through the cracks because our plans become more important than being with our friends? And I would also say that that when we when we remember that life is God's grace to us and we go from there, I would argue that, that that type of faithfulness, it prioritizes relationships in our life. It puts the right relationships in the right place. This is a, and this example is, might sound weird, but I, but I think it, it really speaks to this. I mean, we got parents who, you know, you get married and you have one another and then and then you have kids, and our life becomes about our kids' routine. And so we go about our life, we create this routine, we, we just want to keep our kids alive. We, we, we feed our kids, we, we take care of our kids, we make sure they go to bed on time, we make sure they, they get into the right schools. It's just everything revolves around our kids for all these years. And all of a sudden, one day, they get just independent enough for us to look at our spouse, and we're like, where'd the time go for us? conflict arises. We start to realize mess that might exist between one another because we've been so focused on the kids. Do you see going about our days, just getting caught in a routine, forgetting the Lord? Not, it, 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 can throw a, it can throw a kink in, in what's most important to us. I'm not saying that taking care of our kids is not important. It's very important. But husbands, I would argue that it's more important for you to take care of your wife. And, and wives, it's more important for you to take care of your husbands and then take care of your kids. So how is going about our life affecting the relationships around us? Another question that I would ask, and we talked about this earlier, in my pursuit of this or that, is there peace and contentment in my soul? Now, I, I don't mean complacency, but I mean, I mean that peace that, that, that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, that, that peace that transcends understanding. 
Are you the type of person that you're always after the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? You're going to the next place and the next place, the next opportunity, the next opportunity, and then you get to the end of it and you're just not happy. There's just no peace in your soul. If that's you, maybe you need to step back and wonder, am I being faithful to the Lord in this? Are you the type of person, man, who you live every moment of your life for everybody else but yourself. You live every moment of your life trying to make everything right for the people around you, your spouse, your kids, your, your coworkers, your family, your friends. You're just trying to make everything right for them, but your life is filled with guilt, fear, and worry. And you just, you have no peace. I would say to you that your life is God's gift to you. First and foremost, your life is not so much a gift to those around you as much as first and foremost, it's a gift to you. So take care of you. But listen, Jesus Jesus knew this about us. He knew we weren't going to get this right. And yet, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, like no one scripts out being betrayed. No one writes out, I want to be abandoned by my friends tomorrow. But on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he told his disciples, this is my body broken for you. And then later on after supper, he took a, a cup of wine and he, and he said, this, is my cup, this cup is, the, is my blood shed for you. For every time you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. You see, Jesus, he knew what the plans were for, were for tomorrow. Jesus knew what was going to happen tomorrow. And yet Jesus set his face like flint to the will of God. He got up from the table and he led his disciples to a garden where they fell asleep, but he began to pray. And his prayer sounded like this. Father, if this plan could happen some other way, if tomorrow could play out differently. Lord, if there, Father, if there's some other way for this to go, then let it be so, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew what the will of God was. He knew the prophecy of Isaiah 53, that it was the Lord's will to crush him. He knew that was about him. And he knew that that prophecy was gonna be fulfilled tomorrow. And yet Jesus stared at the face of his father and he went towards tomorrow. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he go forward to the next moment with unflinching focus? It's because Jesus wanted to be with you. He wanted you. His plan 
all along was to be with you, and he knew the only way to get to you was through tomorrow, was through the cross. That's God's will for you. God's will for your life is for you to experience his presence more and more. So every time we eat from this bread and we drink from this cup, we are reminded and we are announcing that Jesus faced his greatest tomorrow knowing that it would crush him so that no matter for you whether tomorrow brings joy, prosperity, pain, loss, confusion, broken plans, disease, or death, Jesus was crushed tomorrow so that tomorrow doesn't have to crush you. So as we carry forth with communion, be reminded of that. No matter what tomorrow holds, it's not going to crush you. The way that communion works is we'll have a station up front and in the back there will be a a gluten-free element. To my left, your right, you'll rip off a piece of bread, dip it into the juice or wine. The wine will be marked with a a piece of twine. Uh, this, This is a meal reserved for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. Um, So if you have not put your trust in Jesus, I ask that you um, will not partake of this meal. Um, But maybe you can sit there and ask yourself, how long can I keep this going? How long can I carry about my life having no true anchor for my soul? And maybe somebody can talk to you later. You come up and talk to anybody you've seen on stage or the person you came with and uh, we can talk, talk to you about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, and you can, you can have communion next week. Um, but let's be reminded that every breath that we breathe in is still God's grace to us. And it gives us the courage to face tomorrow with an open hand, giving peace to our souls and allowing us to be faithful to the Lord. Let's pray.